I literally just got so scared by our dog, Molly. Hi, everyone. My name is Jordan Reed. And I'm Lindsay Reed. And this is Spooky Spouses, a podcast about ghosts and stuff. Each week, we talk about how Molly scares Jordan. She barked so loud and I lost my mind. Cryptozoology. Uh, you know, skeletons. Paranormal stories. Goblins. Anything spooky related. That's true. Every single week, Lindsay and I will research a topic separately of one another, except for this week. Lindsay will usually go not get scared by Molly. I'll go somewhere where I do get scared by our beautiful angel, Molly, our dog. And then we reconvene inside of our house and discuss what we've researched with each and every one of you and each other, except for this week. And this week, I'm going to dedicate the entire show to our friend and guest who was on our show, Liz Kurtzman. Yeah, it was a really, really fun interview episode, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, this is our second little guest episode in the last few months. And I like this new format because when we have a guest on, it's totally different. So we we decided what better way to have fun with our guests and to have fun with everybody than to ask for some questions so we can all hear them for the first time and learn about fun stuff about what our guest has to say. Yeah, Liz, um, I've known for a while and she is a teacher and it interested me because she's teaching a horror theater class coming up this spring and she's going to be a doctor of theater or as we call her, the doctor of horror. Yeah, Liz is probably, well, not probably, is for sure the smartest person that we've ever had on our show. And yeah, she's going to be Dr. Dr. Demon, the horror doctor, Liz Kurtzman. Yes, so we hope you enjoy the interview. Liz Kurtzman, hello. Hi. Thank you for being here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so Liz, you are a, from, from what we understand, the world's leading expert on all things horror related. (laughs) I sure wish that was true. Um, I try. I dabble in a lot of of things that are horror adjacent, um, but I'm working on getting a piece of paper that declares me to be the world's leading expert right now. So will you you be a horror doctor? Uh, Well, so what I will actually be, I have a master's in English literature, uh, and I'm currently working on my doctorate in theater and performance arts. Um, Oh, cool. So I have sort of this background in both literature, the written word, and then also the more performative aspects of, you know, anything from uh, haunted houses to horror movies to um, stage shows like Hamlet, which most people don't think of as being horror, but is one of the first horror plays that we have. Um, Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so just kind of my focus is on horror, which is funny because like in my department, we have a lot of very smart people who do things like you know, Irish performance and socialism and theater. And I'm like, I like to write about spooky stuff. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, well, just really quick, ju- just so you know, since you are such uh, an intelligent horror human being, we, any big words that you say, if you see us over the Zoom call just nodding, it's because we don't know what those big words mean. <laughs> um, but that's, just keep that, keep that locked away somewhere. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't really know what they mean either. I just sprinkle them in so that people give me a degree one day. Uh, well, I think that sounds Sarlo Flutius. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. I made that one up. I, that was a quick one I made up. I don't have any big words. Try and make up a big word for Liz. Um, Silocentrificus. That was really good. Oh, my. Yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah. Okay, so, Liz, I want to know really quick, just because I, I think I can speak for both Lindsay and I, we really like any and all things horror-related, but we definitely are not experts on this subject. Um, we We typically find ourselves like... Putting on a scary movie, putting on a scary series, putting on whether it's like something campy like the reanimator or something new. But I want to know because I love the movie so much. So this is me. This is my turn just to be selfish for one second. Um, Is the movie Event Horizon good or bad? Oh, man. I love Event Horizon. Um, (laughs) Right. So I'm here to validate you. Um, I think Event Horizon is great. Uh, It's got that sort of 90s kitsch sort of feel where it's a little bit cheesy and some of the special effects are, you know, eh. Um, But I think that it has like a lot of sort of Lovecraftian questions about like the mind and also about things like hell and other dimensions. and, And it's, I don't know, I think it's really fun and weird. Um, I've read a lot about the making of and sort of like, I'm sure you know about like the unreleased cut and stuff and how messed up. I'm I'm glad they didn't do that cut, to be honest. (laughs) I think we had enough of the sex torture. I don't think we needed more. Um, But I think there's a lot of really great performances in it as well. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I just remember it was kind of like a sleeper for me because... I, I saw it for the first time when I was pretty young because it came out, oh, what was it, like 99 or something? Or? I think 95 or 6. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So then I, okay, I was even younger when I saw it. And I remember it was on TV somehow uh, and it was unedited somehow. I don't know why or how that was, but I the remember 90s seeing were it. wild. <laughs> they were kind of wild. Anything kind of went in the 90s. Yeah, like uh, high-vis jackets, swishy pants. Jinkos. I mean, we were just talking about a board game, Gooey Louie, that you literally picked boogers oh, yeah. out of a nose, a giant nose. Yeah, the 90s were very weird. Yeah. But I remember... <laughs> <laughs> I, like, like, so whether it was horror movies or board games or fashion, uh, yeah, a very weird time in our lives. But I remember seeing that movie and thinking, okay, this is obviously just some cool sci-fi movie. But then all of a sudden, they found, they were able to like clean up that footage that they found and that like quick like 10 or 15 seconds of the footage they found from the heck dimension was like <laughs> oh w- holy moly and it was legitimately terrifying yes it is it's rough to watch <laughs> it is rough to watch um okay. have you have you heard of the movie sunshine uh-uh i've heard of it but i have not seen it and i have heard a lot of people suggest to watch it it is, it's a really good pairing with Event Horizon because it's a much more Ooh. like polished 2000 sort of um, highbrow movie, but like the last 30 minutes of it are almost like a slasher movie in space. But I think what's interesting to me is that it looks a lot better and I think it's it tries to be smarter, but Event Horizon works better for me than Sunshine does, even though I do like Sunshine. There's just something there. So I'm with you on the Event Horizon train. <laughs> I'm here for I, it. I... 
I, I feel like I feel like we're, you know, like when when you go to like a restaurant and, you know, the like chef or the or the culinary team is like really, really good at what they do. And you walk in, and you're like, just give me what you want. I feel like right now we're getting movie recommendations and stuff from an expert, which we are literally. So this is like <laughs> this is really cool. It's what this I'm here really for. Neat. I want to just run a service where people are like, I like this and this. And I'll be like, here's a horror movie for you. That would be kind of a cool service to offer for people, wouldn't it? Yeah, like recommendations. Yeah, like like by expert recommendations. Like maybe it's an app and then you find your category and then you have experts in that field or those fields just, you know, on their phone or whatever. And then it pops up. That would be a great app. Yeah, for, I'm not going to get the degree anymore. I'm just going to make that app. <laughs> That's my future. Isn't that the thing? Like you, you, you hear about all these successful people, and they're like, "I had literally ten more minutes of my of my third PhD, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do something else. And now all of a sudden, they're making millions of dollars. That's my dream (laughs) to get partway there and then get rich. (laughs) And it's and it's also pretty rock and roll to walk away, isn't it? If I could, I would. Well, I have a question real quick, too, for you, because I am very much into psychological horror movies, and I know a lot of that has to do with acting performances and stuff like that. What do you think is one of the best, like, actor psychological thrillers that you've seen? Because I know a lot of people have debated, like, The Shining with Jack Nicholson because they're like, well, he was just mean to Shelley Duvall, and he kind of was a little (laughs) bit of a psycho, but, like... He played a really strong part in that movie. But in your opinion... That's that's a good one. Um, I would say... Uh, I think the one that comes to mind first would be Hereditary. Uh, oh, just yes! All yes. of the performances in that are devastating to watch. Um, oh, totally agree. Toni Collette is amazing in everything that she's in. Amazing. And, but yes. what a queen. So yeah, definitely that movie. I think one I always go back to is The Thing. Just it's everybody does a great job in it. Um and it's even though it's like very visceral and there's a lot of gore and violence, it is also such a psychological movie and it's just about distrusting people and communication and uh they they all do a great job. I think that's such a good answer because especially the thing, because me as someone who's just an observer, it's like, oh, okay, I would I would see that movie and go, I, I wouldn't necessarily dismiss it for being old or like irrelevant, but you're right. It's it's so much more psychological than I actually give it credit for because I'm looking at it for like the 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 practical effects and the campiness of the creature and all this stuff. But you're absolutely right. It's 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 very psychological. It's one of the things that the reason I think that the old the thing works better than the new the thing, which (laughs) I what a dumb idea to name the prequel the same thing as the old one. Um, It really makes it makes no sense. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. Um, Besides the fact that obviously the practical effects in the original are better than the CGI in the new one. It's you've got like a group of men in the original that are. They have no good choices. Like, they're doing the best with what they have, uh, which is my favorite thing in a horror movie. It's not when you have a bunch of dumb people making mistakes and getting killed for it, but instead when you have a group of smart people with no good choices who are just trying to, to figure a way out. And I think that that's what you get with the original thing that you don't necessarily get with the new one. Same thing with, like, Alien and then Prometheus. It's, like, original. Yeah. You've got a bunch of people who are just trying to do their jobs, who are good at their jobs, but... What 
what can you do when you have this giant alien, you know? Right. And then yeah. Prometheus is a bunch of so-called scientists who just keep making the dumbest mistakes. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the taking off their helmets and stuff, like, in an alien atmosphere, and just, oh, my God, everyone in that movie. Um, yeah, so I think that that's kind of something that, at, at least with not necessarily remakes but sequels, people have trouble capturing. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's why I am attracted to a lot of those older classic movies because it is more psychological and it is more about we're doing the best we have with what we have. And I think it's just really cool. And plus, Kurt Russell just is awesome in that movie. Kurt Russell? Let me tell you, Kurt Russell and Keith David in that movie. I'm just like, okay, we can watch this. Yeah, like, I still watch the thing, and I'm like, I want that bomber jacket that Kurt Russell's got. That's a great jacket. (laughs) I feel like that's his signature look, like, good jackets. Every movie he comes into, he's like, I don't know what the costume is. I want a good jacket, though. Yeah, that's very true. Well, because one of my favorite movies is Death Proof with Kurt Russell. Yes. And it's an underestimated film, but also cool jacket, cool car, cool Kurt. Yeah, it's always cool, Kurt. It's always cool, Kurt. One day we'll just rank the jackets of Kurt Russell. <laughs> That's <laughs> that a different app. app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 kind of like it's a very uh, what is it single serving sort of an app. You just look at it and go, oh, it doesn't change. It doesn't get updated. It's just all his best jackets. <laughs> we could let people vote. We'll let people have a say. Oh, that would yeah, be nice. Just yeah. rank his jackets. Oh, so it would change depending, yeah, because you're constantly having people vote for the different jackets. Yeah. I really like that idea. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I wouldn't be able to design it, but I would use it. We got to make friends who can design apps. We just need smarter, richer friends. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Liz, I have a question for you. Is Is there a horror movie that, as a horror expert, that people, the like the 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 general public, don't necessarily give enough credit, or they kind of pass it by, where you in the like horror expert realm, uh, or the uh, the 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 horror doctor realm, where you're like, no, I promise, this is a really good movie or a good series of movies, or even a television show. Or is, is is there something that we're missing out on because we're not looking deep enough? Um, man, that's a tough one. I think, I mean, in general, you can have that conversation about the whole genre, just a lot of people who dismiss horror as being something that's very um, just gory and kitschy and not psychological. Um, But I think I did have a conversation with someone the other day who she sort of dismissed the movie Scream because it's just like a 90s slasher movie. And I was like, ah, Scream is so good. Like, I mean, there's diminishing (laughs) returns as the series goes on. It gets worse. Um, But the first one, and I would say the second one, are so they were so self-aware before movies were necessarily self-aware, especially horror movies. And even though they sort of spawned a lot of bad slasher movies in the late '90s, early 2000s, it's not their fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, yeah. Like, I there's a big difference between watching Scream and thinking about when it was made um, and the things they're speaking to, and then watching I Know What You Did Last Summer too, and being like, all right, it's just. <laughs> It's just like Brandy in the rain while somebody's chases her with a fork. Um, Right. So, yeah, I think that it maybe is a broader sort of thinking about where these movies came from and when they were made and recognizing why they might be so famous and worth another watch. 
Is there so you've you've mentioned the nineties, or I guess we've all mentioned the nineties. We're 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 all guilty of it. But <laughs> talking about Scream and it almost being like not necessarily passed on by association, but overlooked by association. Is there is there a golden era, or is there like a Liz specific golden era for horror or slasher films? I would say that it's pretty widely accepted that the eighties is sort of the slasher you know, golden era. Sorry, my cat. <laughs> Just if you're, if Tokyo drifted through my living room. Um, Liz is being very polite. Uh, the, the, the cat exploded um, on Liz's end. <laughs> she literally hit my bookshelf. Um, what was the question? Oh, yeah. So the 80s. Um, the 80s is sort of like the time that people say is, is the uh, golden era of slasher films. I would, I would say that's true, even though the 80s is also full of really bad horror movies that are fun in their own way. Um, I would say, I feel like right now is kind of a, a golden era of horror. I think that yeah. we're really lucky to be seeing the movies that are coming out now. And that's probably because of all of the different platforms and ways that people can get movies out there. They don't have to rely necessarily on a big studio to get their movie made. They can, you know... Netflix can do it, or they could put it out on the internet. So we're getting a lot of um, really cool different things happening right now, too. That's awesome. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Well, with with that being said, in the era we're in now, I know that because you've, you've already mentioned the movie Hereditary, which for me... That is one of my favorite. I also just want to make sure I'm getting my 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 verbiage correct. Horror is like the all-encompassing things. And then within horror, there are like the subgenres of horror. Am I using that properly? Yes, um, I would say so. Yeah. So there's sort of horror in general. And horror is also part of the thriller genre, which can include, you know, like crime oh. movies and things like that. So then you get horror. And then as you get into horror, you get into like paranormal horror which then could be divided into like ghost movies and <laughs> demon movies and things like that. So yeah, you just keep getting like smaller and smaller genres within. So what like what type of movie is hereditary? Is it is it easily classified? Is it that does it kind of like blur the lines between a few different genres? Yeah, I think that I would say that it's part of uh, a few different genres, one being sort of your paranormal horror um, because there's obviously a paranormal aspect of that movie. But it's also part of sort of the wider domestic horror, which is about families and houses and just like everyday life and figuring out those relationships. And especially in that movie, the relationships between like mother and daughter, daughter and son, you know, things like that. So I guess I, I, I always want to know, like, if I don't know a lot about something, like why I feel a certain way about something. <laughs> so why? I, I, I don't know if this is a great question. I feel question. like you're really diving deep here. Here we go. Here we go, <laughs> I Liz. I feel like, Liz, you're <laughs> kind you of to like... need to talk to your therapist about this? Or? <laughs> I might need to because I want to know... I want to know why I love that movie so much. I mean, I know, like, why I did Service Level. But, like, am I wrong in thinking that, like, it was a really profound movie? It was really original? Or is it, like, is it kind of... Um, What's the word? See, I told you, Liz, we don't know a lot of stuff. <laughs> derivative. Derivative. I I didn't notice a lot of, like, I don't know, calls to this or calls to that. But I also very well am, I, am a horror novice. I think that, hmm, I don't want to use the word derivative. Think of it instead as, like, paying tribute to. 
because oh, it does pay tribute better. to a lot of like, especially cult films. Thinking about movies like The Wicker Man, or I mean, he went on to make Midsummer, which is another cult movie. Um, yes. But you have sort of like things that you could pull out of that movie and say, oh, this is from this, this is from this. But what you get with Hereditary is a movie that does everything really well. So we've already talked about how great the performances are. Um, just the cinematography in that film and the sound design. The sound design is oh amazing uh, as far as the m music, but then also all of those different sounds that you start having a visceral reaction to, like the clicking um, yes. And then the way that he builds tension through cinematography. And then finally, just the story making it about one thing, but also it being about a deeper issue that we can all relate to, like family and what we inherit through our families or don't inherit. So, yeah, I think that he just does everything really well. I mean, if you can't tell, I love Ari Aster and I love Midsummer for the same reasons. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just like... We just got everything with that movie. We really yeah, did. Yeah, I agree. And it's so scary. There's so many moments in that that are so upsetting. It is so <laughs> upsetting. And I and I love I loved every minute of that movie. Like and the 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 fact that it was so like mentioning okay, so there's there's a whole idea in music as well of like something being a light motif where you hear a specific melodic phrase and it triggers an emotional response or it it means that it's it's referencing a certain character or something like that. But in this movie, something as small as the click and having this visceral reaction to just one super, super short sound, and then all of a sudden your mood totally shifts. I just think that's such a powerful and a, such a smart move, and it was so well-crafted. Yeah, there's that sound, and then there's also um, the lens flare. If you've noticed that in the movie... The lens this is very flare. cool you're bringing this up because there's a literal lens flare in our camera right now. <laughs> I know, you yeah. guys look like you are being abducted by aliens right now. <laughs> yeah, I just noticed that. I was like, why am I slowly fading away? And like a couple of angels. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about horror films getting abducted, abducted by aliens. <laughs> it's nice. Uh, it's a nice treat for a Sunday. Um, yeah, so there's like a lens flare that happens whenever the demon is present. Oh, I love oh. that. Yeah. I don't know if I picked up on that. No. I didn't pick up on it. I read about it, and then next time I watched it, I noticed it. Oh, I love that. Another movie that I had to really pick apart and analyze and look up a lot about was the movie Mother, if I, you happen to see that. I actually haven't seen that one, which I know I need to. I've heard conflicting things, uh, but I think now that I've read some stuff about I do want to see it. I watched it without any knowledge, and I was like, what just happened? And I kind of didn't like it. And then as soon as I read about it, it made sense, and I liked it. So I don't know. I sometimes like movies that you have to do a little bit of behind-the-scenes research. Oh, totally. I, I I think it's fun, too, because like I'm, I'm sure we've all, specifically movies, like have watched a movie and gone, what just happened? And then you read about it, and you're like, that just seems like way too heady. I don't know. Nobody would pick up on that. Um, well, I guess I can't say nobody, but I, I, I can guarantee you that a majority of people would not pick up on that. And it's just kind of lost on them. But there is this really beautiful thing. It makes me fall in love with a movie more. I want to watch it again and again. When you learn a little bit about it and it just it starts clicking, it makes so much sense. But that movie, holy smokes, I was so stressed. It's like this building <laughs> of stress and stress and stress and stress. But it's powerful i mean it's 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 an excellent movie and i think i never realized that 
until right now that I think that could be a type of horror or thriller movie for sure. Yeah, I I totally think so. I mean, J-Law, she's always cracking those performances. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the a lot of people ask me what horror is. I mean, how do you... It's It's more than just scaring, right? It's more than just things that are scary. But the way that I have seen the genre described that I think is easiest for people to grasp it is the building of dread and terror so sometimes the building of dread doesn't necessarily mean something scary like a monster in the woods sometimes it's something like the movie parasite where you're just building dread throughout the movie but not necessarily going to come up with like a villain or it's not necessarily going to be a traditional horror movie but instead you're just so uncomfortable the whole time and you don't even know why but it's because of what the director is doing what the actors are doing and all of those pieces coming together wow that's so great and like it's so cool to hear that too because thinking of parasite as a horror movie i mean it is just this feeling of a dread that becomes worse and worse or i guess just more palpable throughout the entire movie and then it's like okay well then you know where's the quote-unquote monster i think the monster in the movie is the like socioeconomic divide it's it's so neat that's so neat i've I've never i like honestly to this day and we've never said that we're very smart to this day (laughs) i i've never realized that like you your your literal monster in a horror movie can be something that isn't necessarily tangible it's like something that is put in place or it's some thought or intrusive thought or thoughts oh that's so neat liz i feel like you're i feel like you're making Lindsay and i smarter that's what I, that's what they paid me to do. <laughs> um, Liz, one more question before we get into our other questions. Is there a particular <laughs> or is this a therapy session for you? I think Liz. One more session. One just more one more quick, quick little session. <laughs> one more quick. One more quick horror therapy session, please. I'm going to tell you what I'm scared of, and you tell me why. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I am, I am scared of um, very, very, very fast moving water. I'm scared of that. So there's that thing. What else am I scared of? Spiders? Hate spiders. Interesting. Um, But I feel like a lot of people are scared of spiders, right? Yes. From what I know, yes. (laughs) There's a lot of movies about them. They show up in a lot of movies. One starring Jeff Daniels. Um, (laughs) Yes. Which, really quick, do you think... um, Here's here's my question. I'm I'm pivoting. I'm not going to ask my other one. Do you think there's a way that the movie Arachnophobia and Dumb and Dumber exist in the same universe. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I would say Arachnophobia happened first. Okay. And then Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) And that it was so traumatizing um, (laughs) that he just had brain damage from it. And what uh, what was his character's name? Harry? Yeah, Harry. Yeah, Harry, Harry Lloyd in Dumb and Dumber. I don't remember in Arachnophobia. Me either. Neither do I. Well, what about, remember in Dumb and Dumber? Um, I'm already really stoked for, <laughs> I'm Jim, stoked for this. Jim Carrey, Lloyd's character, had that, what was it, Freda Felcher, that girl. Yeah. And it's obvious that Jeff Daniels had dated that same person. Yes. And they like kind of briefly talked about it. And you like, you picked up on like, oh, obviously he dated. Maybe that was Jeff Daniels' other life, his like relationship oh. with whatever her name was. Yeah, Freda. Freda Felcher. <laughs> Does he even that, remember his last like or he might maybe because of the the trauma from the spiders, maybe he pushed out so much out of his memory that now he only remembers like really important details in his past life. So he remembers 
Freda Felcher. Obviously, she yeah. occupied a large part of his brain, but everything She's else like, is I a blur. Just want to forget about that <laughs> part. Maybe. I Maybe. don't know. Well, thanks, Liz. <laughs> Well, yeehaw, saddle up, partners, and hop on your haunted, headless horse, and welcome to the Haunted Housekeeping Zone. Why don't you come along with us? If you have any questions regarding haunted, headless horses, a cryptid that you once saw and behind your house. Maybe just a cupboard that keeps talking to you. If there's a particular pair of shoes that when you put on, you see nothing but ghosts. Or an Ikea table that you just can't seem to put together by yourself. If you're dealing with any of these things specifically, or anything just kind of spooky and unexplainable, and you want to ask us about it, or even just tell us, you can. You can call our haunted hotline, the the phone number is 803-816-2667 or 803-816-BOOZE. That's the scarier number, and I like that one better. That's fine, and that's just Lindsay's preference. You can call our haunted hotline or text it any time of day or any time of night, and please don't worry, it will go directly to voicemail so you don't have to talk to a human being at all. We'll do our best to give you probably mediocre advice, or maybe you just want to have us talk about it. We can talk about it. Again, the phone number is 803-816-2667 or 803-816-BOOZE. And if you happen to be looking for some really spooky but also extremely fashion-forward pants or shorts or just drip in general, you can check out our friends over at Native Language Clothing. It's spooky cozy season, so why not have spooky cozy drip? Yeah, you can get yourself a really cool hoodie and matching shorts and wear them around your house when you're just, you know, having a pumpkin spice latte with almond milk. They have like Sherpa shorts and they're tie-dye, so it's like the best of both worlds. You can go to nativelanguageclothing.com or check out their Instagram, Native Language Clothing, and do some clicking and some scrolling. And at checkout, you can use the promo code SPOOKYSPOUSES, all one word, all lowercase, and get 30% off your entire order. And that's a lot of percent off. That's a spooky sale. Yeah, it is. So again, that's Native Language Clothing. Use the promo code SPOOKYSPOUSES, all one word, all lowercase at checkout and get 30% off. Say you have your comfy Native Language shorts on and you're like, you know, I just need a really cool spooky shirt to go with this. You can go check out our friends at DiscountCemetery.com. There you'll find things like Kubrick stuff, the burbs, and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead, which is a super cool shirt. Or you can just literally get a shirt that says cemetery on it. I did. Lindsay did. And it's wonderful. So check out our friends at Discount Cemetery on Instagram, Twitter, or Doc. Our show is a proud member of the Scavengers Network family of podcasting friends and podcasting podcasters. You can go to scavengersnetwork.com and check out some of the other great shows on the network. Or you can go to spookyspousescast.com, do some scrolling around, check out some of our cool merch on there that Lindsay designed. And then from there, you can also check out the Scavengers Network website. Sounds great. And as always, we would like to thank each and every one of you for listening to our show, for supporting our show, and most importantly, for telling people about our show. Thank you, spooky buddies, and stay spooky. And now, here is an advertisement in audio form for a podcast that we enjoy. 
Toon Link saw Kirby walking into the kitchen wearing a sleep cap. Kirby, did you steal the microwave? <laughs> oh, hello there, gentle listener. I didn't hear you there. You caught me reading the longest written work in the English language, The Subspace Emissary's World's Conquest, a Super Smash Brothers fan fiction. But let's set that aside for now. To advertise our podcast. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Max. And we're the hosts of Fan Ball, a podcast about fandom, their history and culture. The people and things they create. And everything in between. Listen bi-weekly on Wednesdays on the Scavengers Network or wherever you find your podcasts. some like really really good questions um from people that yeah. we have better ones than ours d- gave us what on twitter and through our voicemail too yes liz you get to pick would you like some voicemails first or some uh twitter questions first Ooh, um let's do a voicemail okay great uh we're gonna do this voicemail from our friend calvin hi spooky spouses and liz um this is uh frequent flyer calvin here um, I have a couple of questions um, regarding your background in theater and film, Liz. Um, I know that a lot of people in uh, performing arts backgrounds have, uh, like, their own superstitions or, like, rituals that you have to do before performances, this and that. Uh, for example, I have to um, do a coordinated lip sync to ABBA's Dancing Queen before I go on stage every time. And that's just a little something that helps me get in the zone and get ready to go. Um, So I was wondering, what are your superstitions for any kind of performances or the weirdest ones that you've encountered? Um, I also know that a lot of theater people have like weird ghost stories about ghosts in theaters and Maybe I'll, I'll call back another time because I have a few theater ghost stories that I could tell. Um, but I was wondering if you've ever had any spooky encounters in a theater before. Um, thanks, as always, for your time. Have a good one. All right, Liz, a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a good question uh, because, as he points out, theater people are very suspicious. Um, superstitious and suspicious, I guess. Um, yeah, both. <laughs> I've met a lot of theater people. <laughs> They're pretty suspicious. <laughs> but I, that's why, um, you know, every theater has a ghost light, you know, because you always have a light on in theater to keep the ghosts away. And, you know, you say things like break a leg instead of saying good luck. Um, I guess, though, I don't really, this is going to be disappointing, but I don't know that I have a ritual that I do, except that I don't like to be in a theater with the lights all off. I do like to have a ghost light on. The weirdest one I encountered was I was in a show with someone who would always wore the same pair of underwear for every show. Huh. And I didn't get the deets on if they washed it every time, because I didn't yeah. I didn't necessarily want to know that answer. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a difficult, it's a gamble for sure. And then it's also a gamble being the question asker to them being like, well, I don't, why do you want to know about my underwear so much? Yes. Yes. You hear and you just go, oh, okay. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you want to run lines? Like you don't delve into that topic. Do you have any other superstitions aside from uh, not being in the theater with the lights off? 
Well, the reason I don't like to be in the theater with the lights off is actually speaks to the second part of the question, which is because the only ghostly encounter I've ever maybe had was in a theater and I was alone and was turning off the lights. And so ever since then, I'm like, I don't want to be the last person in here and I don't want the lights off uh, just in case. Yeah. And I think that a lot of theater people have some sort of ghost story. Which could also just because be because we're like constantly running on empty and are partially <laughs> insane um, from Hell Week or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> I always think about that too because I feel like theaters, like the whole lore behind ghosts, are like they thrive off of energy and history and you know all this stuff. And I feel like theaters are really good like portal for that. Oh, there's always so much going on and like. I think the amount of, I mean, if we're going to look at energy just based on human emotion, whether or not they're real or they're, you know, for, for the show or whatever, there's always just a range of emotions happening at all times in theaters. So that that could also be a conduit for, I might not have used the word right, but I don't care, um, <laughs> for, um, I don't know, ghost stuff. Yeah. And there's, like you said, there's so much history, but there's so much like, um, what's the word I want to use? I guess like transient history where... People are in shows which are like really important and consume their lives and then it's over and they move on and there's not a lot of permanence there. So um, you end up with sort of these impressions of different people and different um, shows. Uh, One of the scholars that I use a lot talks about how every show that is ever made is haunted by other shows because if you're doing a production of, say, um, The Night Before... Is that the one? Let's say you're doing a production of Shakespeare and you're doing King Lear. You're being haunted by like every production of King Lear. People come to that with like the ghost of different performances that they've seen. And they're kind of like looking at you thinking of the time that they saw Ian McKellen play this role or something. And then oftentimes people are reusing costumes from other shows. So now the shows are then haunted by those shows. And it's really interesting to think about how every show is like a continuation or uh a tribute to another show that you get in theater. That's a really good point. Yeah, that is a really good point. And also scary to think about. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of theaters. I love this. There's a lot of theaters that if you see the ghost of that theater, then it's like you've made it. There's this oh, cool. story about Patrick Stewart was in a, and I can't remember, it's a it's a famous theater in England, um, but he was in the show. And during the show, he looked out and saw like the famous ghost of like the first manager of this theater. And people were like, oh man, Patrick Stewart's seen it. Like now it's part of the story. Now he's like in and he's a permanent part of this theater. And it's just really, really interesting to think about how that sort of tradition is passed on. That's neat. So like seeing a ghost is basically a rite of passage. Yes, it's, yeah, it's like the ghost showing up and being like, I like what you do, kid, or whatever. <laughs> Validation. I saw, I saw you on Star Trek. Oh, see you later. Is that the guy? Is that the guy from Star Trek? Is it? My, oh. <laughs> All right, Liz, you want another one? Yeah. Okay, this is from Mason in Vermont. Hi, this is Mason from Vermont. And uh, I have a couple of questions for your guest, Liz, uh, about horror films. I have, I have one that is sort of maybe more of a serious question. Uh, and one that's just kind of fun. So the first question is, uh, Liz, why do you think that there is such a popular niche market for bad indie horror movies? Because it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me like 
bad indie horror is more popular than like bad indie rom-coms or something. So, so why do you think people just seem to go for that? Uh, B-list horror movies. Cause I have a lot of friends who that is like a thing they enjoy watching in their spare time. Uh, and my second question is, uh, if you were the casting director for a horror film adaptation of Toy Story, which A-list celebrities would you approach for the lead roles? And I'm just going to leave that one completely open-ended for your horror film adaptation of Toy Story. I'm, I, I do want to say that this it wouldn't be animated. It would be like uh, like a live-action horror remake of Toy Story. Who would you cast for some of those lead roles? Thanks for taking my question, and I look forward to hearing your answer. Bye. Wow. So two very different questions. <laughs> Wildly different questions. <laughs> That's a lot to unpack. Um <laughs> So for the first question about sort of the B horror movie market, I think that there's probably a couple reasons for it. And the first one, as he pointed out when he was talking about it, is that people seek them out. Like people, I had a weekend, I was last, last weekend, my friends and I just sat around watching the worst horror movies we could find um, on purpose. And so there's this whole market for even if your movie is bad, somebody's going to watch it. And there are people who are going to seek it out. So I think that that maybe is the number one reason. But also, it's sort of, it's an easy, cheap sort of movie to make. Because there are so many familiar tropes in the genre that you can kind of just check those off without having to have like a real serious storyline. You can just be like, great, this guy has, you know, fill in the blank for what kind of weapon he has. And he wears fill in the blank. And he runs around the woods and kills teenagers and that's our whole movie. And like, that's it. You just have to sort of like plug and play. It's like a Mad Lib and you can get it done. Especially, uh, I would say like 10 years ago, the found footage horror thing. Like those movies are so cheap to make. You just have to have a bad camera. Oh yeah. And you don't even have to have good editing skills. It's found footage. So yeah, I think that a lot of the reason is just like the, the trinity of being like easy to make, being cheap to make, and then you have a built-in audience. Wow. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, look at Blair Witch. I mean, Blair Witch was one of the biggest horror movies in my lifetime that came out that was a cheap, silly movie to make. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that movie could not have costed more than $65. <laughs> I mean, it was like it was it was so it was so simple to make, but I guess for that movie Maybe not being like the first of its kind, but or maybe being the first of its kind. It was so simple to make, but so effective. It was not the first found footage horror movie, but it was the first horror movie that had an online uh, presence. Oh, wow. They had this whole online marketing campaign where they made a website making it seem like those people were actually missing. And then they would run like ads and stuff on different websites about looking for those people. Um, so it was one of the first like online marketing campaigns for a horror movie. I love that. And that I think the website's still idea. up, so you can go check it out. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of going to the website, but it redirects you to the Blair Witch MySpace. <laughs> and then it has like all of, their, all of their, their top eight is just the witch, but different <laughs> profiles of the witch. You're like, this really is time travel. Wow, we're I doing wanna, it. I want to go to that website and act like I don't know that this is fake. And like, <laughs> I have just found this footage and I'm like, does anybody else know where these people are? Why is no one taking this seriously? <laughs> it's been like 20 years. Where are these people? Where are these people? Oh, I guess at? we just gave up. 
<laughs> they're still missing, and they they're probably cold and tired. No oh updates gosh. on the website. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then um, live action Toy Story <laughs> horror version. Oh man, I would love I would love to plot out this whole thing, but. <laughs> Let me, the one that pops to mind immediately because I went to like okay what like horror actors would I put in this and I think I would have to put Patrick Wilson who is like America's horror dad into the movie probably as probably as Buzz okay okay that's a good one yeah but I'm trying to think of who Woody would be when I think about Woody because I'm thinking of like the Tom Hanks realm but make it scary <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That is kind of a hard one. You know, I don't think many people have given Colin Hanks a chance in a horror movie. I also don't know <laughs> if he's gone for any, but that might be his thing or could be like another avenue. I think you're onto something there. Because Colin Hanks, and I, and I mean this with, with nothing but respect, I feel like Colin Hanks could have a face for a horror movie, if that makes any sense. No, I think you're right. They have to have like a good shocked face. And I've definitely seen him do that in movies. Wow, okay. He also makes bandanas. He does make bandanas. So like that could be his weird little quirk. Like (laughs) just keeping to myself, just, you know, making bandanas. Well, if he's Woody, he can wear his own bandanas. That's a good idea. That's a really good point. And then that could be a calling card. Maybe he leaves a bandana on his victims. (laughs) Perfect. I just feel like there's a snake in my boot would be like what he paints on the wall in blood. (laughs) Or the or the uh, like, I don't know, the FBI gets to the scene. Be like, they all they all seem to be dying because of snakes in their boots. (laughs) So it's like Patrick Wilson as Buzz is the FBI agent looking for Woody as serial killer. Yeah, I like this idea. (laughs) I'm ready to green light it. Again, we just need some rich friends. Uh, oh, okay. And all the little, like, other people, like the little pig and whatever, the slinky and stuff, that could just be all Doug Jones. Just <laughs> oh, yeah, in different, right. different character styles. <laughs> Every character is Doug Jones. I can't believe we haven't seen that movie yet. Yeah, right? Like, I, I mean, I, like, I think a lot of people, it's, it's this trend that people are saying, like, when is Doug Jones going to finally get the respect he deserves? I mean, he's very, very busy. He's in, he's in a new Star Trek thing. Um, he's like every awesome horror, horror creature or like any like silly little sci-fi creature. But this would be a really cool role for him or any role where literally every single monster was Doug Jones. I would love that. I would love to get a movie where we get all of the monster actors together. So like Andy Serkis and Doug Jones and then like oh. Twisty Troy and uh, what's his name? Javier. Oh, I can't think of his last name, but he was just in he's in a lot of stuff and he's awesome. Let's just get them all in there. Yeah. yeah. yeah just that like great. Colin Hanks's posses. <laughs> it's funny too because uh twisty troy sounds like the name (laughs) of someone who might like sell like like a traveling yo-yo salesman or something i don't know anyways (laughs) Uh, okay liz here is our last voicemail and it is from uh tucker hi liz my name is tucker uh i think it's really cool that you teach classes on the evolution of horror i'm a big horror fan myself I was wondering, what is your favorite example of an eldritch abomination slash cosmic horror? Thanks so much. Great. Simple, short, and sweet. <laughs> That's interesting because there's 
those are two different things, right? Eldritch Abomination and Cosmic Horror. I would say my favorite Eldritch Abomination that I've seen is the monster from um, The Ritual. Have you guys seen that one? Yes! It's yeah. like the best monster design I've seen in so long. Isn't the... It's like really tall, and doesn't it have a lot of faces or something on it, or like something weird? It's like you think it, you see it, the sort of shape of it, and then it just sort of unfolds more. And there's like, that's a, right. Th- there's like a, another torso, and the the like antlers are actually like people hands, and it's wild. I loved it um, yeah. because I've seen so many that you're just kind of like, yeah, it's a, it's a monster. And with that one, I was like, it just keeps <laughs> going. So yeah, that was a good one. And then I would say uh, Cosmic Horror. I'm going to go with the first Hellboy movie because that, I don't know. I think especially like that was the first time I remember seeing something like that in a movie, especially at the end when you see like, I don't remember what they called them in that movie, but like the they're all up in space and they're in those like ice bubbly things. And then you see their eyes open and it's like, oh, it's so good because it's just so big that you can't even like comprehend it. Um, and that's not necessarily even a horror movie, but I think they did a really good job with character design and monster design. That that also yeah. leads me into like why why is Guillermo del Toro so good at creating monsters? What happened to him? <laughs> <laughs> what was his childhood like? Right. Exactly. Who 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 has he been hanging out with? <laughs> I mean, cool honestly, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> The Pale Man is still one of my favorite creatures. It is so upsetting. It is, and it's so simple in a weird, upsetting way. It really is. And I think what makes the Pale Man even creepier is that it just sits and waits. Yes. Just sit and then. The two disgusting cherries on top is that it's like, oh, let me put my eyeballs in my hands just really quick. (laughs) I think it's such it's such an interesting idea. Yeah. I would also like to know, like, how much of these creatures or, like, the the conceptualizations are, like, um, tributes or paying homage to, like, the cool Latin American history and, like, all their cool monster stories. Like, what's the one? Like, um, La Llorona. Yeah, it's one of the things that I'm trying to get – I'm trying to learn more about and get better at, at, I guess, talking about um, is is sort of the way that – horror looks in every culture because obviously we're scared of different things. There are things that are crossovers, but I guess viscerally different things speak to different cultures. And now that we have globalization, we're sort of seeing a lot of crossover. Um, my best example and one that I that we're going to talk about in my class is with the zombie, which starts out in Africa, is primarily a Haitian monster, and then became the American monster. And now we see it everywhere there's so many great like korean and japanese and british and even australian um zombie movies and they all kind of do something a little bit different with it and now it's this like global monster uh but it does have roots you know in a specific place so yeah it's when i think about evolution of horror i think that's a lot of what i'm trying to speak to is not like evolution as people think of it from something that was like bad to something that's good, but in the way that we branch out and see those sort of um, connections if we go back far enough in different families and branches and things like that. Absolutely. That's so radical. Yeah. All stuff with like folklore and legends and stuff is always 
really interesting to see in movies because you can tell from like Japanese monsters and stuff that a lot of that is taken from, you know, traditional old legends and stories. And I just think that's really cool. And I also think it's so neat because it's everything like when it comes to folklore and myth and legend and all that stuff, I feel like all the creatures related to those sorts of things, they're all so unique in their own way. But there's like you have certain, I guess, tropes from culture to culture, like, I don't know, like um, Bigfoot ranging from like this continent to this continent to this continent, Um, like water monsters and how, I don't know. I just, I love it. I love it. I love it. But I don't know enough about it, but I still love it. Liz, what about some Twitter questions? Uh, That, I'm I'm here for it. Let's do it. Yeah, there's some really good ones on Twitter. Uh, Okay, this one comes to us from George Diaz. Is there something that's not associated normally with horror that you'd love to see more co- more closely linked to the genre? So this one's interesting because I I think you could talk, look at it in two different ways. One, thinking about actually the subjects of horror movies, like what thing do you want to see more in the subject of horror movies, or as the way that people talk about the genre in general. And I think... For me, the way that I would love to see sort of the discussion around horror movies uh, change in a, in a wider sense is to get people to recognize that horror has always been about social issues. Like, it's always been a woke genre, I guess. Um, if you're on horror Twitter at all, like, people are always bringing that up because you've got different kinds of horror fans, and some are there for the gore and the bad movies, and they just want to see, like, co-eds getting murdered. And they're like, why do all horror movies have to be, like, about something now? And it's like, they've always been about something. You know, like, that's why it's a psychological genre, because it speaks to something that we as a society are anxious about. So I think that if you go back, you know, you'll always find that there's something that horror movies have been speaking to. So I think I just, like, I want people to recognize that instead of just being like, oh, old horror movies are just silly. And they're just about, you know, killing people. And it's not always the case as far as like subjects of horror movies i don't know because like i said before i can if you name something i can almost always come up with a horror movie about that thing so whenever i go "Ah, i want to see a horror movie about this i'll google it and i'm like yep it already is one um (laughs) what i would love to see more of is just sort of the cross genre sort of horror where it seems to start out as one thing and then becomes scary and I, I think that it's been done sometimes, but I want to see it done like where you think that you're watching a romance movie and everything's going great and then it becomes a horror movie or, you know, I'm trying to think of another genre. I don't know. Action movie starts out as an action movie and then just becomes a horror movie. I'd be here or um, even like a, uh, a documentary. And then all of a sudden record scratch. <laughs> it's actually been a horror movie this whole That's time. That's a good idea. But then still frame it like a documentary. I kind of have one, though. Of, of, have you ever seen Behind the Mask? Why does that sound... I, I'm Right now, I'm just thinking it's about mascots, but I think I'm wrong. <laughs> it's, the full title is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Jordan. R- Leslie, Leslie Vernon. Leslie Jordan is a very funny small man that's an actor. Um, oh. <laughs> I was like, that's not right. No, it, it, it is a documentary about a guy who's training to be like the next like Mike Myers or, or yeah, Michael Myers or like um, movie serial killer. And it's really good. I recommend it. Oh, nice. Okay. We have to so watch that. We have to watch that one. And then we also have to watch <laughs> Sunshine. Yep. Okay. 
We'll just keep the list going. <laughs> uh, okay, Liz, the next question is from our good friend, friend, our great friend, Dan. Uh, Dan asks uh, a few things, actually. What are your biggest influences in the horror genre? I would say my biggest influences would be The Woman in Black, the stage play, and mm. the stage play Ghost Stories. Both of those have actually been made into movies. And what's really interesting to me is to see how they change the story and the presentation of the story from stage to screen. Um, what they keep, what they lose, what they add. And I think especially Woman in Black is kind of the thing that got me going on the path that I'm on because even though it's a really simple stage play, it's literally got three actors in it. There's not a lot of props. Um, there's not an elaborate set. It was like one of the scariest experiences I've ever had, just being in the theater where like the woman in black sometimes would just walk by your chair um, and there's no separation. You can't turn the TV off. You can't like hide behind a pillow. Um, you're in the room with everything that's happening. So that was one of the first times I was like, this is, this is different than just watching a horror movie or reading a book, you know, that's a horror book. So I would say that those two are kind of the big influences on me. And I definitely recommend them to anyone, especially um, checking out the ghost stories book versus movie. Cause it's really interesting. Cool. That's interesting that you bring that up because I, when I was younger, got really into plays because I got, I went and saw Arsenic and Old Lace and I was like hooked because I always liked that intrigue of like some kind of horror murder aspect of it. And The Woman in Black, I remember it played in Cleveland and I wanted to see it so bad and nobody would go nobody would do it and I still to this day think it would be such a cool experience to go like see yeah you should absolutely go see it if you get a chance it's one of the longest running shows in the west end in london it's been going for like 30 years i think and Whoa. um it that's where i saw it uh and it's so good Ugh. yeah you don't see it in the states like i have not seen it since i was little and saw it that it was playing one time at like Playhouse Square in Cleveland. Yeah, I sometimes think I you'll get like, a tour or something. But yeah. it's surprising to me that mo more like small companies don't do it or even like city theaters because it is so simple to produce. There's only, like I said, there's three actors and you don't have to have other than like, I think you have to have a fog machine. Um, but other than that, <laughs> yeah, not a but big I, production and it, cost. And I feel like right now, like... Every teenager who's trying to start a YouTube channel probably has a fog machine somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, you no. could just ask, just ask somebody looking for a fog machine and then ask it's two your minutes. daughter, your son. Yeah, I'm sure they got one. Are you done with the fog machine? I need it for like a thing. <laughs> All right, Liz, uh, I'm going to pick one more that Daniel wrote because there are a few other ones. Oh, here we go. I'm picking this one because I like it. Uh, <laughs> what do you want to see more of in the horror genre within the next 10 years? Or what do you think will be the next big thing in horror? Well, we've already kind of talked about how this is really a golden age of horror, where we're seeing so many people try all these cool things and um, make really great movies. I think the next big thing, and this is one of the things that, um, like the second half of my uh, class that I'm going to be teaching is about, is internet horror in sort of um, all the Ooh. different forms of internet horror. And I think the one that people are most familiar with is like Creepypasta, um, which gave us things like Slender Man. But um, also there's like 
Twitter horror stories. If you've never looked at Dear David, the Twitter story, look it up. It's so good. There's also, I just found out, I've been putting off getting a TikTok. Like, every, my friends were like, you should get one. And I'm like, no, I'm old. And I spend too much time on social media. I can't get a TikTok. And then two days ago, I found an article about haunted TikTok and how there's a whole section of TikTok that's like people doing these 15-second horror like clips and oh, making that's a larger story. And I was like, I'm going to have to get a TikTok. <laughs> yeah, See, I feel the same way. I'm like, I'm too old for TikTok. I don't get it. But if there's things like that on it, then I'm going to be like that creepy lingerer that just looks at people's stuff and doesn't post anything. Like I, I, I even felt too old when I heard about Marco Polo for the first time. I was like, no, I'm, I'm in my 30s. I'm done with apps. I'm not doing Marco Polo, but now I like it because I talked to my mom. It's great. I'm so old that I don't even know what that is. I thought you meant like the pool game. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I mean. You know, when I was seven years old and Crystal Pepsi came out, I was like, nope, I'm done trying anything. I'm done with it. I'm drinking. I know I like Coke and Sprite. No, Marco Polo is basically you just send little voice memos back and forth. And my it's really easy for everyone to use, which is great. So my mom just retired. So now we talk back and forth. It's like leaving little it's like Skyping uh, if people even call it Skyping uh, anymore. <laughs> um, but like you can just answer whenever you'd like. Huh. It's nice. It's nice. And, and the elderly can use it just fine. <laughs> Um, but I, we, we, we also feel the same way about TikTok, where I think we've, we've talked about it, I think on our show before, where it's like, no, we cannot do it. But if there's scary stuff on it, then yeah, maybe we just like make an account like um, user 345111 and just watch them. That's probably what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be one of those creeps that's like watching other people's stuff. And it's going to be like, do you want to upload something? No, I don't. Just please do not take user three four five one one one. That's going to be our name. <laughs> oh, Did you man. already get it? What a coincidence! That's the one I <laughs> wrote down. <laughs> then we're going to get um, Colin Hanks official. That'll be ours. <laughs> um, okay, Liz. Two more questions. This one is from Morgan Spatola. How has feminine impacted the portrayal of women and women's suffering in the genre? What change have we seen in that regard between the nineteen twenties and now? Ooh, that's a good one. I think the biggest change, the most obvious change, I would say, is the way that female victims are portrayed uh, in film. And not that it is, uh, not that it, the problematic portrayals of women is over. I think we all know that that's not true. Um, mm -hmm. But especially if you look back at the 80s and slasher films, you've got sort of the like final girl, you know, where you have the one sort of, as Carol Clover, who is a... Um, who is a horror scholar, uh, wrote about it. You've got your final girl who's really sort of like an adolescent boy stand-in um, who gets to live till the end, but the other women die in horrible ways. Um, so I think that we've gotten past that in, in that we have equal portrayal of horrible deaths between men and women. <laughs> but I think that the biggest change is that hopefully we're getting more women making horror films. Not as many as I would like to see, but it's definitely happening. Um, you get specifically people portraying like a lot of female revenge movies and things like that and talking to issues uh, that matter to women. So I think that it's getting better. I would say that is a genre, like all film genres, where we still have a long way to go and there's still not enough representation behind the camera um, of women. But 
We're getting there. Also sort of related to that, I've, I've sort of read and written a lot about queer representation in horror films, and that's something that within the last few years we've seen a lot of change and a lot of better representation on film. So that one is really fun to look into and, and sort of go down that rabbit hole. That's so great. Absolutely. I always think of like, there's always the slasher films with the the girl victims, but I always think of Rosemary's Baby too, of how it's just the housewife that sits there and is like, oh, just be quiet. We think there's a demon in your house. Oh, you're being possessed by the devil. We don't, it's fine. Just stay home. <laughs> That's a movie about gaslighting, which like thinking about yeah. who made that movie, you're like, I can't believe, I can't believe he made this movie. But that's a really feminist film because it's about all of these people, mostly men, gaslighting this woman. And the only time you really see her female friends, they're they're all the ones at the party who are like, this isn't okay. You shouldn't yeah. listen to these people. They're making you drink what? Don't do that. You know, and that's the only time we see them. But if she listened to her female friends, maybe she wouldn't be in the um, situation she ends up in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very well said, Liz. <laughs> Listen um, to your female friends. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like we're also seeing in, in this genre a lot of really strong female leads. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think that especially when you look back at the final girls from the 80s, a lot of them don't have a lot of personality. You know what I mean? Like great actresses and great performances, but they don't have a lot to do other than just like survive. Um, they might have a boyfriend, and that's like the extent of their personality. Um, but I think that we are getting a lot of great female leads. I going back to Ari Aster. Um, yes, Midsummer. What a great feminist film <laughs> about a breakup. <laughs> but yeah, Florence Pugh in that movie is so good. Uh, so I yeah. agree. I, I I had no idea who Florence Pugh was, but I mean, I I just. Ari's uh, Ari Aster's. I'm not sure how involved he is in casting, but I mean, I just feel like the 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 two leads in those movies. Uh, well, I guess th- those two movies being Hereditary and Midsummer were just so correct. They were so great. Yeah, and I even in much smaller, low budget films. Uh, one of my favorite films that came out last year. Not that there were a lot of movies that came out last year. <laughs> True. Um, True. But the one that I always tell people to watch is the movie Host. Um, I don't know if you guys heard about that. It's the Zoom horror movie. Did it we? was uh, filmed during the pandemic, all on Zoom, and it was mostly just like the director's friends. And they set the movie up to look like a Zoom call, so it like opens with the Zoom screen, and um, it's just and it's only an hour long because that's the length of a free Zoom call, and. Um, it's so good, and you've got a group of mostly women who feel like people you know, and they all have their own personalities and um, seem like real people. And so it's not even like purposely trying to be like a feminist film. It's just real, and they feel like people that you could meet and you care about. That's great. Another movie we have to watch. Yep. Put it on the list. Yeah. I think those movies are so great when they can connect you. Well, like we've been, we're really into video games as well. And we've been watching, um, kind of playing along with The Last of Us too. And I think it hits on so many of those, you know, female like lead role. You're getting to know their personalities. Like I think connecting with these characters is so smart because it's so much more devastating than just seeing, oh, someone got slaughtered and killed. Like, I would much rather have the connection than the shock factor. 
Yeah, I think that people don't, it kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning with caring more or having those characters who are actually good at their jobs and do the right thing. And that's why it's worse when they die or they fail. I think the same thing with like when you actually make dimensional likable characters, you know, you feel worse for them than you would if they were just like those stereotype cutouts of like the slut, the jock, the nerd. Um, Instead, you have and a good reference movie for that would be Cabin in the Woods, where they seem like they are supposed to be those cutouts, but instead they have depth and you care about them and you like them. Uh, which makes it worse when bad things happen to them. All right, Liz, the final question (laughs) comes from our friend Holly Flanagan, and she would like to know, in terms of the evolution of horror, I'm interested to hear about the introduction of the jump scare. I'm also interested about the change from grotesque black and white horror movies like Frankenstein to the more horror of the mind movies like Psycho. Well, I'm going to get I'm going to get real historical on you with these questions. (laughs) Um, Here we go. I love talking about jump scares. Um, so what a great question. I guess I'll start off with a question for you guys. Can Ooh. you guess which movie had the very first jump scare in it? Um, I'm probably wrong, but I want to say Toy Story 1, but I feel like I'm <laughs> off base. You know, that is the, the answer I get the most often. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn's, what's I your, would have what's to your think, better guess? I'm trying mine? to think of really, really old movies, but I feel like it's going to be a trick question because, like, first thing that comes to mind is like the swamp thing or like those kind of creature features. But I don't know. That I feel like that's a really tricky one. It is sort of a trick question. The very first movie that had a jump scare in it was Citizen Kane in 1941. Really? Oh, wow. Yes. So there's that scene where you're looking through the keyhole, and then suddenly the, like, parrot or parakeet just, like, squawks and is in the keyhole, and it makes everyone jump. (laughs) And no one really knows why he put it in there, but it's technically the first jump scare, even though it probably wasn't meant to scare people, maybe to just get them to wake up and pay attention. But the first jump scare that was meant to really scare the audience was the next year, 1942, in Cat People. And um, it is what is still called it, which is a Val Luton film. And it's still called a Luton jump scare when you have something that is like not a threatening thing that that um, scares you in a jump scare. So for in that movie, it's like somebody's walking and suddenly like a bus honks and is there in front of them and you jump. And then it's like, oh, it's just a bus. Um, So whenever you have like one of those jumps where it's like something scares you and it's just like a bird squawking, that's a Luton jump scare. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of two different kinds of jump scares. And I think that jump scares unfairly get sort of uh, talked about as a cheap scare, which they can be. It can be something that, like, you're building tension, you're building tension, and then the phone rings. And it's like, okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, but, yeah, the I think the elements of the jump scare that you need to make it work is building tension, which is often done through sound. Um, and sometimes through cinematography, like lingering cameras on behind someone or in a corner of the room where you're like, something's going to happen with that. Um, so that builds tension. And then to have the payoff, you need to have um, the sound and the sight. It can't just be one or the other because it's got to access that part of your brain that is uh, meant to keep you alive and worried about 
things that jump out and are scary and are loud. So I think that the reason that we start seeing them more and more in films is because people got better at sound design and got better at building through music and sound cues, um, the tension in the audience, and then having some sort of payoff. Um, so like I said, sometimes you have the cheap ones that are, we're building tension and then you know something silly happens. But then you also have ones where you're building tension, you're building tension, and then the monster jumps out or some other thing happens. Um, so yeah, I think that they can be done really effectively. Some of my favorites, I think the one that I always go to is uh, Insidious. It's a really famous with like um, Patrick Wilson in the chair and then the wife's talking and then the camera goes back to him and you've got that like red demon face behind him that pops yeah. up. Oh yeah. And yeah. the music stings and then you fall out of your chair. Um, that one was a really good one because like they're telling the story and it is building the tension and you don't really notice that the music's getting more and more like it's crescendoing. And so when that happens, it's not totally unearned. Um, they were building towards something. You just didn't know what it was going to be and you didn't expect that dude to just be chilling there with Patrick Wilson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that dude was terrifying looking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think that in... Um, Mike Flanagan's really good at jump scares, and I think of both The Haunting of Bly Manor and The Haunting of Hill House, there's a lot of really effective jump scares that just, like, knock you off the couch when you see them. What yeah. about the one... I, it's, I, I, love, I love learning about all this stuff. So, like, I'm realizing my, I guess, favorite slash most hated jump scare uh, is in... And I don't know what type of jump scare this is. So, in the original Exorcist when she is in the doctor's office and then all of a sudden with no i don't believe there's any musical cue it cuts to that quick clip of that smiling demon or captain howdy and then it goes right back really quick out of nowhere when my when my buddy brandon and i were watching that we were in high school that was like oh now i get why that movie is so terrifying because it because of that split second it's been so man it's been so long since I've seen The Exorcist. I remember the scene you're talking about. I would have to rewatch it, but I think a lot of times what it's accessing is the building tension of that scene of like the what they're talking. You know, is that when she's getting like the biopsy and stuff? I think so. I think so yeah, it's like probably like I don't know, minute fifteen, minute twenty. It's early. Yeah, I think that that is because you are tense watching. Um, all of this happen and watching like these really honestly gross procedures. Um, yeah. That was that was the scene that made people pass out and throw up in the theaters <laughs> is watching these like real medical procedures. Um, so that is something that is putting you on edge and is making you is filling you with dread. And so when that jump scare happens, it is like the payoff for that um, instead of like continuing to build that towards something later. They're just like here's a demon. Um, so yeah, I think that we're not always like aware of what, of what the actor and, and to be fair, there are directors who don't build tension and then just throw in a jump scare and then it's not good. You're just like, Oh, all right. Um, but that one, I think for sure is you're so tense during that scene. Another interesting fact about that scene is that there is a real murderer in that scene. What? One of the medical, cause they had real medical technicians and they're doing, the different procedures like they went to a real doctor and a medical team to have all of that to film those scenes and one of the medical technicians went on 
to murder some people and get arrested for it. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, I guess it was a good casted role. I mean, yeah, chopping yeah. up bodies and then doing uh, it later. Thanks for the fun fact, Liz. <laughs> well, that kind of reminds <laughs> that kind of reminds me of the um, the dating game killer that was on the dating game show and then was oh, murdering yeah. women. Yes. Yeah, if you find, I think there's like a list, it's probably on Cracked or something, um, that talks about like real killers that were on TV and they always talk about the dating, uh, the dating game killer and then that scene from The Exorcist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's under like, it's under the list like the world's silliest murderer. (laughs) (laughs) The world's Hollywood star studded stabbers. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to, um, know more about jump scares there's an episode of the podcast dead meat that is specifically about the history of of jump scares so if any of your listeners want to know more i highly recommend listening to that episode yeah Yeah, i will have to check that out i will link it um in the show notes to this episode and then there was a second part to the question that i've already forgotten Me too, because now I'm just scared thinking about Captain Howdy. I think it was about the difference between um, the grotesque black and white horror movies like Frankenstein to a more horror of the mind movies like Psycho. So I'm going to get real historical on you again and point out that um, one of the interesting things I didn't know until I started doing research on horror is that the genre didn't exist by that name until several decades after film started being made. So even though we have what we would classify as like horror stories dating back to like the Roman times and even further if you go by like fireside stories, um, we didn't have a name for the genre until Frankenstein in 1931. That was the first movie that was called a horror movie. Did, did the name of the genre before that used to be called, I don't particularly like these types of movies, genre. <laughs> <laughs> they Those are for like, me. Scary fright picks. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think they just call them like thrillers or like maybe psychological. I mean, they didn't even have a word for psychological. Um, Wow. Yeah, because you think about to us, you know, Edgar Allan Poe is a horror writer, but oh, totally. There is no genre for it at the time. They just wrote thrillers, and they call them like you know penny dreadfuls and things like that. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, Frankenstein, 1931, first movie that was referred to as a horror movie, but I guess kind of, I've already talked about some of this stuff already, so I don't want to keep, I don't want to repeat myself too much. Um, but like I said, I think that any movie that is horror is psychological in some way because it is tapping into something that is a cultural or personal anxiety, um, something that puts people on edge. And so... They all kind of are going to access that. And um, I think that we can't really say like we've moved from the grotesque into psychological because they exist um, side by side. Like we've talked about, you know, Hereditary, Midsummer, movies like Get Out. Those are all very psychological. But then you also have, you know, people are still making sort of slasher movies. The movie Freaky just came out and that is sort of like, a wink to, but still is a slasher movie. Um, so we're still having them exist side by side. We're just seeing the ways in which the genre is sort of branching to make these subgenres, which then sometimes make their own subgenres. Um, and sometimes those subgenres like come and go, like torture porn is one that was really popular for about six years after 9-11. And then 
has kind of dwindled off. You still get a few, but they're just not as popular um, because that's not something that our culture is still obsessed with. So, yeah, I think that you can kind of just like look back and see how they branch off the sort of main tree, which is really fun. That's so cool. Yeah. I was even thinking about when you were talking about with like different musical cues and stuff like that. And I always appreciate the acting and the filmography of directors that can do movies like No Country for Old Men with no music and still have a very uneasy, creepy feeling about it. Yeah. And I I didn't even realize. So we don't talk about this a lot in the show, but I I teach music, but. I, I never real I never realized that that movie did not have music in it until someone told me after I've already watched it once and a half. I watched it the whole way through, and then I watched it like a half time through with my dad or something. I think, and they were like, "Isn't that so crazy that 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 mu- that that movie has no music?" And it was like I <laughs> never even realized that. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, that's the yeah. first thing I saw. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote that down too when I first saw it. Uh, minute minute one, I was like, "No music, probably bad film." But then that's 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 also so funny too. How like the 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 writing or the script writing or the acting and everything else, the um, photography and all this stuff can can add so much to a film. To where if you take away, arguably one of the most important important parts of a film is the soundtrack. If you just totally wipe that. It just it's it's like what a testament to like that film in and of itself and the crew and everything else. It's so like to me, that's that's baffling. Yeah, I oh, it's so good because like we talked about a really good horror film has all of these elements. Um, and if they're done well, you end up with a great movie. But to be able to take one of those elements away and still have a really effective, tense movie is something that like I can't even fathom doing. Yeah, there, there's a movie called Hush. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. It's on Netflix. Um, but the main character of that movie is deaf. And so there are sections of the movie we get from her point of view where there is no sound. And in that way, is a different kind of tension. One, because we're used to hearing the sound. But also because we know what's going on behind her or whatever. And she can't hear it. And so that's a moment when the sound cuts out and you realize how used to it you are like how used you are to the soundtrack and just all of the like ambient noises um so yeah that i i I, there's a scholar i love who just writes about sound in a horror movie and i think it's so brilliant like the way that different directors do i think in hereditary uh, he does something with the soundtrack i want to say that it's like only strings or something like that 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 soundtrack I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because I wanted to bring it up and I'm so glad it happened naturally. That So that soundtrack was written by like a new experimental saxophonist named Colin Stetson. So what's, what's really cool is that largely saxophone is looked at as being a jazz instrument or a pop instrument. But he, the, the way he approaches it, not, not everything on the soundtrack is all saxophone, but he's using this wide range of saxophones from, I believe, alto all the way down to bass saxophone. But there's also strings and there's electronic elements. Um, and like the, the, the different types of timbres or sounds he's able to get from the saxophone manipulated in certain ways lends this really sort of totally unfamiliar sound to a horror soundtrack where... I would say the majority of the focus on the sound is saxophone, which is just like there's there's the um, 
I think it's like the second to last. I'm getting goosebumps thinking of this track because I love it so much. <laughs> There's, it's like the second or third to last track on the soundtrack, but I believe it's like when the actual like ritual starts happening when they're floating up to the <laughs> to the treehouse, which also no spoilers. Like, would, no, no spoilers, <laughs> but also spoilers. Um, but that it's just it's like some of the most gorgeous writing I've ever heard. But knowing what was happening in the film, it's I that soundtrack is so incredible. This is a this is just a hereditary stand podcast now. I think it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, are we getting sponsored? Do we like get cool stuff now because we talked about it? Absolutely not. <laughs> I wish. Ari Aster, can we be friends now? Can I know. I would friends? love to be friends with Ari Aster. Let's just ask him. Yeah. Okay. Maybe on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> well, like we'll do some choreographed dance where we're lip syncing Demi Lovato, but we're asking him to be our friend and. I don't know. I don't know what TikTok... That's what I envision TikTok being. <laughs> that checks out for me. Okay. That's all I know. Dances. Yeah. Well, Liz, this is going to be by far our longest episode ever, but I'm so <laughs> excited about it because I feel like this this episode is basically an excuse for Lindsay and I to learn a bunch of really cool stuff. So thank you so much for being on. Yeah, it. thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me and letting me uh, talk at length about all the nerdy things that I love. Um, and I try to get people to pay me to talk about at school. <laughs> yeah, you're you're welcome. Um, Liz, is there anything that you would like to plug? Is there anything that you would like to say um, before we end the call? Not really. I guess the only thing is, if you want my like lukewarm takes on whatever horror movie I'm watching, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Kislertsman. Um, other than that, I mostly just like hold up in my apartment writing academic papers and watching horror movies so i don't get out much well now you have a whole nother screenplay to write because you have to do the toy story thing yes i'm gonna be so busy (laughs) and i'm gonna have a tiktok i think we're gonna have one too maybe by the end of the day (laughs) you gotta get that good screen name that i've already forgotten uh, user 345111 (laughs) or colin hanks official yes that's the one All right, Liz. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for being our friend. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, Liz. Bye. We would like to thank Eli Rexford Chambers for writing the music you heard at the beginning, the middle, and the end of our show. You can find Eli on social media at Eli Who Does Music. He's nice and gentle and sweet and has arms made out of flutes, and that's about it. We'd also like to thank everybody over at the Scavengers Network. We are part of a big, happy group of podcasters. You can find our show and many others at scavengersnetwork.com. Um, we also have a Patreon. You can donate a dollar to one million bazillion dollars, and then you get to come live with us if you donate that much. Uh-huh, that's absolutely true. And we would like to thank every single person for listening to our show, for helping us spread the word about our show. We're lucky to have you. And if you like our show... You can do the whole iTunes thing, rating and reviewing, but most importantly, we would love it if you told some people you know about our weird little show that we've been making for about four years. Yeah, so I hope this week you have a, what, a horror, knowledgeable, fun theater week. Yeah, I hope this week you also think about some of the actors you would like to see do the live action slasher remake of Toy Story. And while you're doing that, you listen to the soundtrack from Hereditary because it's very, very good. Okay, well then, until we release another episode, we will see each and every one of you later. Bye-bye. Bye.
Yeah, people were super stoked because, like, we know nothing about theater. Like, of course, obviously, we love horror movies and stuff. But I'm like, I really want to get Liz on the show because I think so many of our listeners are, like, theater majors or, like, love, like, D&D and, like, role-playing. And I'm like, I feel like it would just be so cool to chat with her about it and, like, kind of play around with it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, as a teacher, if I start talking on something, I'll just keep going. Um, so, yeah, happy <laughs> to talk about um, all of those subjects and get in the weeds about them. Good. <laughs> she scared the bejesus out of you. I know. I am <laughs> 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 really scared. Checking my microphone, checking it out. Lindsay, can you please? Checking my microphone, it out. guys. Hey, guys, dance for chenin out. Lindsay, can you please? Chenin out. Chenin guys, chenin out. Thanks for coming to my YouTube channel, chenin out. Like, comment, sub, snare. Smash the stir snurbs button. Thanks for chenin out. Lindsay, you want to do another one really quick? I think I'm good. Does it sound okay? Um, can you try one really quick? Chnerb. It's perfect. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content. Podcube. Podcasts from the past delivered to the future. With Podcube's pseudo-linear 4D adiabatic qubit streaming technology, you can select any point in history and record it for personal gain. What was the group dynamic with Australopithecus? What brand of cigarettes did the Spanish Inquisition smoke? Was Leonardo da Vinci a pants guy? Or a shorts guy? You can discover with Podcube. Listen for yourself to the flagship Podcube podcast, Alabaster's Haberdashery, recorded on location in 1880. Simply search PodCube, all one word, in your podcast app or visit poweredbypodcube.com. PodCube, the future is yesterday. Beware.